بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد لا تمدن يدك إلى الأخذ من الخلائق إلا أن ترى أن المعتي فيهم مولاك فإن كنت كذلك فخذ ما وافقك العلم Do not stretch out your hands to take from creatures unless you see that the giver among them is your Lord if such is your case, then take what knowledge says is suitable for you. Do not stretch out your hand to take from creatures unless you see that the giver among them is your Lord. If such is your case, then take what knowledge says is suitable for you. So this is again in the same kind of direction that we've been discussing, which is that a person constantly thinks of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be involved in everything that we do. It's that realization that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is behind everything that we do. One of the most prominent situations where this can be very difficult to deal with is the situation when you see something coming from someone else. Um, human beings are very in tune with their senses this is what gives them assurance generally speaking knowledge of something is not as powerful as seeing something seeing something increases and emphasizes the knowledge that you have about something thus you move from what they, what they call ilmul yaqeen the knowledge of some kind of certainty to when you see it it becomes aynul yaqeen it becomes the eye of certainty where you actually see it. Then if you experience something, then it becomes haqqul yaqeen. So generally speaking, a person can be very deluded in this kind of situation. Because when you're seeing something come from someone, and then for you to believe and know inside that it's actually coming from someone else, that requires a bit of training. It requires a bit of somersaulting in your mind, getting things right. Because humans, right from the beginning, where this is something that has to be learnt. That's why Iman is acquired. There's a natural basis of faith which helps a person in that direction, makes it easy for him to recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He's just such a reality. But at the end of the day, Iman is something acquired. That's why, yes, we're born in Muslim households. Muslims who are born in Muslim households, they're born in Muslim households. But when they do become of discerning age and when they do become of uh, a reflective uh, stage they do have to think of these things for themselves and personalize it to such a degree that most people's iman in that situation then becomes their own because the people they follow to become a Muslim which is generally their parents if for example their parents did leave the faith they would still stay Muslim because now although they took it through this blind following as such in the beginning they then will personalize it and make it their own that's how human beings are generally when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Generally, uh, for example, uh, somebody asked a question the other day that why would, when you can't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can't see paradise and hell, the hereafter. Such important uh, beliefs and tenets of faith in our religion, you can't do without them. Our basis of faith depends on them. Tu'mina bil akhir.
Jannat and Jahannam, Paradise and Hell being a reality? How can you be obliged to believe in them when you don't see them? And you're not going to see them until it's too late to believe. Well, the whole thing is that the reason is that the human beings generally, if you look at the overwhelming majority of human beings, in fact, every human being, there are so many things that we believe purely based on information. There's so many things we believe in. The existence of cities is a, that we haven't visited is a very simple example of that. But most of us, everyone, this is a human reality, this is a human function to believe in things that you don't see. Only then when you, you see some things and they reassure you your belief. Then a question that arises is that if somebody has questions about faith, should they ask them or not? Right? Should they ask them or not? Well, there's two levels of this. One is that, I'm going in a bit of a different direction, but I think this is important to clarify. One is that if it's something that's bothering you, that's causing issues with your faith, it's actually bothering you. Allah prohibits. But if that is the case, then it's necessary to find out. That's why Imam Abu Hanifa says in his Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar that if you ever come across some kind of dubiety, some kind of dubiousness or doubt or wavering in terms of any issue of Islamic belief that is uh, causing you some kind of friction in your mind, then it's necessary for you to ask somebody and get a response. If you can't find somebody quickly enough, then for the time being, until you can find somebody, the hukum and the command is that you entertain in your mind that I believe in this, whatever Allah uh, would like me to believe. I believe in whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made a reality in this case. So that's a kind of a vague, hold on kind of uh, patchwork job we do in the beginning until we become. Um, <coughs> so that's what that that's what's important, right? If it's a question just um, that occurs in the mind, it doesn't cause you any wavering, but you'd just like to know. For example, why are women considered in the hadith to be naqisatul aql? Right. Why are they considered to be deficient in their intellect when we see that if you put men and women together generally nowadays, you see that women are excelling in terms of their hard work and their understanding, their mental acumen, it's all there. So what's going on? So that, that's, that you're, not, you're not questioning the hadith, you just want to know its reason. So there's nothing wrong with those kind of questions as long as you not you don't become a high skeptic there are some high skeptic it's a, skepticism is a disease where they don't believe in anything unless you provide absolute proof and in many things there is no absolute proof for example they will even question their own ancestry how do you prove that you came from your mother and father right okay you got a birth certificate well like anybody could have made that up a skeptic is the way anybody they could have you could anybody could make things up you know the registrar might be your friend he may have made you a certificate um, somebody may go beyond that and say well this is what i saw but how do you know that you're still the same person you weren't swapped dna dna is not 100% so how do you reassure such a person 
So a high skeptic can never be reassured. Then you've got the agnostics who believe in, I don't know yet. We need to still look. We need to still inquire. Inquiry has not ended yet. Well, there's been how many centuries since humanity has been looking for the ultimate reality. So any of those theories of the past, they're not good enough yet. If millions of years of inquiry has not produced anything, what do we expect in the next thousand years to produce? So agnostics just say we need to keep looking. They're different from atheists. Atheists are denial completely. Agnostics say we, we're not sure. La adriya. That's what they call them. La adriya. So that's, I mean, agnostics, okay, they've taken a, to be honest, I have more respect for an agnostic in 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 just the the technical sense of it right because at least they've made a decision about something these guys have not made a decision and the fact is that if humanity had just been a hundred years then a uh, hundred years old then that's understandable that we haven't really had enough time but uh, humanity is thousands of years old and there's been many ideas it's been chronicled and recorded and everything else of that nature so then why doesn't a person take one of those ideas right why take it as a uh, as a professional kind of ideology that I'm not going to accept anything I still have to find things that's preventing you from taking something even though one of those things may appeal to you for example one atheist came to us when we had an open day and he says that I really want to believe in God but I just can't the reason is that his intellectual framework is prohibiting him he has a you know when you grow up you may have received some kind of atheistic intellectual framework that just causes you to deny because that's your intellectual framework anything we see outside we process it according to our intellectual framework that's why the natural faith is very important it helps us to process things with the right filters so this guy his inside is wanting to believe Allah but for some reason his intellectual framework is prohibiting it's limiting him it can't get it because it keeps denying things according to his intellectual framework. We process everything according to the way we see things. Allahu Akbar. So, if you have a question and you just want a clearer answer and you have a source, uh, and we, we, should, we should have clearer answers. And the proof of this is in Ibrahim alayhi salam's interaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, Allah, uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam says in the Quran, Arini kayfa al mawta. I want you to show me, Ya Allah, how you resurrect the dead, how you bring them back to life. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him, Awalam uh, tu'min, don't you believe? It's only to satisfy my heart further, give it more contentment. So that kind of inquiry is allowed as long as it doesn't become your sole bread of your life. That's all you're doing. Because then eventually shaitan can use that. It's a bit precarious. Shaitan can use that to create. If you don't get the right answers, it could. But if your faith is firm and there are certain things that you want to know about, then that's completely fine. That gives you a better understanding of your faith. So it just depends on how you and what I've what I've uh, noticed is that there are fitna for all of us in our different situations. Some people are more intellectual minded, so they have a more lot more 
intellectual inquiry They keep thinking about these things Some people can't be bothered That's the last thing on their mind Their fitna is the dunya You know, the, the intellectual minded ones when Sometimes they don't care about the dunya as much They're just about learning things That's their fitna sometimes The shaitan will use it in a different direction Shaitan uses their aql Because uh, the, the three faculties of the human being Aql, intellect which generally associates with knowledge right number two is anger uh, the faculty of anger which uh, anger not in the literal sense of getting angry and red in the face but this ability within a person to stand up and do something right which is manifested in anger in an extreme sense but in a moderate sense it allows a person to just get up and do the right thing because if a person doesn't have it at all or has very less of it, then it's going to lead to cowardice, where they're going to be so laid back they don't care about anything. That's a that's a shortcoming in that regard. So that's the faculty of anger. Then you got the faculty of shahwa, of desire. Again, you need to have enough to be able to fulfill the rights of those who Allah has told us to fulfill the rights of our stomach and the rights of uh, uh, husband and wife rights. If somebody doesn't have it and it's shortcoming in that regard, then again, they're not going to be able to fulfill the rights of their spouse for example take that to an extreme in any sense and you see all of these weird deviances that you get sexual deviances so uh, every uh, everybody has a challenge with one or more of these this is where our challenge generally comes so generally our challenge is going to do with these three things one or more of these things some people will just be purely an intellectual challenge Again, asking too many questions. And sometimes that could l take a person to wavering. Uh, the challenge of too much eating and just indulgence in stomach and uh, uh, shahawats, other types of um, fulfillments of that nature, temptations. So sometimes a person has it in, in all of them. You know, so the, these are the, uh, our challenges basically that we have. The way of moderation of all of these things is to have some kind of resilience of the heart. Because all of these things are to do with the faculties and not with the heart. But they impact on the heart. So if on the other hand we're not strengthening the heart against these, then it's a massive problem. There are many intellectual people that I have seen who when they've not had a backing of spirituality then they will lose out yet there are numerous other people and Zarruq is one of them uh, Ibn Ajiba many of our ulama I mean look at the mental acumen of people like Mawlana Qasim Nanotwi and Ashraf Ali Thanwi for example like Ajib phenomenal human beings just from an intellectual perspective Shawaliullah and these people could have been anywhere they could have succeeded in anything that they did because they just but because of that heart with the dhikr of Allah and the spiritual mentoring that is what's benefited them because that keeps you right because the heart is all of these external things will attack the heart all of these external things will impact the heart and eventually the heart will just become too weak and it will just follow along in that but if the heart is strong and even though you're getting some harm and we need the, the heart to be strong these days because we are uh, in this day and age being constantly attacked by various different ideologies in all fun there's no way we can avoid it because we live in the midst of it every newspaper article 
every media story that you see is going to be based on that you know with the sexual deviances that are out there and um, everything else that's out there it just constantly challenges you it constantly challenges you and uh, many many people are losing themselves in this regard because their iman is not strong enough and iman is strengthened by the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and more learning by knowledge and people are devoid because uh, our occupation is the dunya people are going to work this many hours a day then they're coming and watching news that's impacting their iman they're just about praying if they're lucky many Muslims don't pray so they're not even praying some do pray they're the, they're the really lucky ones the people who get to pray five times a day whether qada or ada or whatever it is they're the lucky ones how many Muslims pray today? I mean I don't want to sound very pessimistic but think about it so if somebody who's not praying or just about praying or just praying Friday prayers or whatever it is has no form of Islamic input Islamic durus or anything of that nature where are they getting enough to be able to sustain themselves in this world the only thing they're getting they're working so their love of money is increasing they're just in this toil of life and on top of that their knowledge system is all coming from the media because they're just watching news and movies and things of that nature that's their pastime so how do you expect that person to be it's a bleak it's very bleak if we're not in that kind of system, we should be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like if we have some concern, just concern itself is a massive ni'mah of Allah. People don't have any concern. They're happy with this life. They just want more and more of this life. Tell me how many people you know who do not listen to an Islamic lecture for the whole year. They might just get one on Eid if they're lucky. If they don't just aim to get their right for the Salat time. How many people are like that? How many people do you know that work with you never get an Islamic lecture? And if they do get to Jumu'ah, I mean, not every Jumu'ah lecture, unfortunately, is very inspiring. Right? That's another thing. That's another thing. So, can you see the problem in, which is on our hands? And then you, th then you wonder why our du'as aren't accepted or the Ummah doesn't get much and we're suffering. Because this is what globalization has done. This is what globalization has done. Then after that, um, we were in Hajj. So, you know, we have, we're in the European camps. Now, every camp is different in Hajj. Every camp is different in Hajj. You get what you pay for, meaning you get what your group pays for. You know, groups, they say you're going to get this and you're going to get that. This is their so, selling point. You've got camps in Mina, close to Shaitan, to further away from Shaitan, right? Being close to shaitan means it's a less of a walk, right? Um, and you're further, generally the European camps are about 50 minutes away as a walk, right? They're a good few miles away. Um, then in those camps as well, you've got those that give you uh, mattresses and sheets and pillows, uh, an air cooling system, food. Um, some of them have buffet food more exquisite food some have basic handout food uh, in just trays or whatever plates or whatever some don't have anything you take your own they might just provide a carpet you you have to then put your sleeping bag bring it on your own so there's no mattress or whatever uh, food you have to buy outside and so on and so on. so there's all of this all of this stuff now 
the one we had, it provides you a nice, really thick mattress that turns into a seat. It uh, gives you a, a, ch uh, uh, a pillow and a sheet and decent food. Uh, it's okay, right? Decent food. And space you get is just the space of one mattress. That's all you get. You get nothing beyond that. There's no, you know, you, you have to put everything up to pray Salat. That's how it is. So some of these brothers, remember a lot of the people I'm going with, it's their Hajj for the first time and maybe the only time, right? Some of them come from this category of people that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about, right? The mashallah, they've had the tawfiq and they've just come for Hajj. Um, some of them, they'll come back to Heathrow Airport and their hijabs go off. You know, there's always going to be one of them every year that I see. The hijabs go off as soon as you get to London Airport because the fitna takes you again. And I told them this. I said, when you, right now we've been with Muslims, right? And it's been such a wonderful atmosphere. As soon as you land, in fact, from the airline, you know, from the airplane, but as soon as you land, you'll just suddenly start feeling this freedom. And shaitan will... And it was exactly that. Most people, alhamdulillah, they, they, but it happens. Anyway, some of these brothers, they went out on the street in Mina after the first day we got there. And they saw all of these people in the sun. And it was very hot this year, 42 degrees we're talking about. Meaning it was so hot this year that in Muzdalifa, when you can, at night time, when you can generally sleep, every year I've slept that I've been, this year I couldn't. It was like a sauna. You, you were just sweating like crazy. You just about fell asleep and you woke up with sweat. It was just very difficult to sleep. That's how hot it was this year. So they saw all of these people, lots of people on the street, no food access. And they're literally on the street, on cardboards or whatever. Sometimes they've got maybe a makeshift shade pulled over them or whatever the case is and they started feeling very guilty in our tent so i heard this from more than one of them now it spurred them to do a few good things number one we generally waste a lot of food in these places a lot of food is wasted so alhamdulillah what they started doing we made an announcement that any extra food put in that area so that if you want to t if anybody wants to take more food you can take you get all these breakfast items and people just have them lying all over the place alhamdulillah all of that so then they used to collect all the foods after, after lunch or whatever and go and give it to these people. But they were feeling guilty of being here, of being in the tent. Look at them, look where we are. Now this wasn't the best of what you had down there. A friend of mine who works with another group from America that cost $20,000 a package. twenty dollars to $24,000 a package, which we're talking about thirteen to 15,000 pounds a package, right? There in Mina you get two to three person a cabin so it's not a tent it's like a proper closed buffet meals uh wi-fi okay i understand wi-fi understand wi-fi right there were other groups that had wi-fi as well and you can have it on your phone anyway satellite tv in mina like you can't stay away for just that i can understand it's bad enough having it in the hotels in makkah mukarram and medina munawara but then to although to be honest most people they just keep the haram on the haram, that's what I've seen. So at least they know how many people in the haram, you know, understandable. But to have it in Mina as well, and, it, you know, that's going really crazy. I can understand having something to make, uh, th this is where I was coming to. So these people started feeling guilty. Now, I didn't want that to spoil their hajj, because shaitan in hajj time comes in various different ways. Number one, he doesn't let you go. If you do manage to overcome that, there's so many people who have delayed for years and years and years and years. And then they go when they're old and they suffer. 
They should go when they're young. So they've gone finally. Now shaitan comes in all forms. One of the biggest ways coming, if you've gone with your spouse, you're generally going to have an argument about something. He just causes some kind of issues and it spoils your hajj. It's really bad because of the cases that came to me about this, right? To such a degree, one woman, one woman took me to the side at Heathrow Airport when we were getting our bags and she'd asked me a few questions during the Hajj as well and she goes, my husband, this is what he did, this, that and the other and I'm think, thinking we should just separate and all that. And I'm like, you know, this is not the time to discuss this, right? You've just come back from Hajj. I was thinking, you just come But I said, this is not, because, you know, you can get drawn into it. I said, look, this is not the time to discuss this, right? Um, so shaitan causes a lot of these frictions. So now this is another idea. In fact, another thing shaitan causes, a few days before Hajj, he'll make you do, think you have to do lots of worship get the most out of haram so go and do 10 tawafs and things like that and then you are knocked out by hajj time so on arafah you can't stand you become bimar you're, you're sleeping and to be honest it's i used to feel like that because we have medina munawara i stayed there we generally stay there four days or eight days so i stayed there alhamdulillah eight days because i had to deal with two different groups then when we get to makkah we have two days before hajj and then i have one day after hajj and i'm thinking i need to maximize this time in, and for us to get from Azizia to the Haram, and Haram is really difficult these days because of the work that's going on. It's, you don't even know where to go or not to do, and the crowds, and it's just, it takes a lot out of you. So I used to feel really guilty that I can't go and do 10 tawafs a day and whatever. But then he said, relax before Hajj. Go and do something, but relax. Don't overdo it because your main maqsad of your journey is hajj your arafah your muzdalifah your nahar your you know all of these things to really get the most out of those special promotions that are taking place on that day so i'm just trying to tell you how shaitan comes to the haji in these different ways the third way is this people are acting acting all guilty about this that we're enjoying ourselves and you know Whereas we're not really, when they first came into there, they, uh, you know, when you first come into your tent for the first time, you feel really like a fish out of water. You feel homesick, right? Because in Makkah, Mukarram, you've got nice hotels and whatever. Now you come to a space of like a grave, literally. And you've got ihram on. So you can't even have your normal accessories and things of that nature. So you feel really out of place. And that really is a struggle in the beginning, right? And then suddenly you start seeing this as a luxury and you're guilty about this luxury. So then I had to explain, I really thought about it. And you had to explain that, look, if we were, if you swapped your place with those people, what would happen? They would most likely, because they haven't dealt with this kind of luxury, right? If they're willing to go and spend their day outside, no shade, they're probably used to that. I'm not saying in a derogatory sense. They're probably used to it. Otherwise, why would somebody go and do that? Yes, there's a few of them will be so desperate for a hajj. And most of these people will be probably be illegal anyway down there. Right? They shouldn't be there. Because they have, they're supposed to have camps for every place. And if you can pay for it. So either these guys are very poor. Or they are illegal. And they've just slipped in their workers. From Saudi Arabia. You know, the, uh, the older workers that they've got from around. They're not allowed to come every, until, except every five years. They, they smuggle themselves in and they've just found a place. Nobody's going to ask them there, right? They keep moving them out. They just go to another place. If they were in here, they'd probably suffer because of indulgence of the luxury that day. We, if we went out there, we would probably run away. Our hajj would be messed up. We couldn't stand the heat. 
where we've only got this place according to our status this is what we're used to if you put yourself down into this is hajj is not supposed to be an extra mujahada there's already enough effort in the rights that are legislated upon you don't make an extra mujahada and mess your hajj up by going and sleeping on the streets if you're used to sleeping on the street it's a whole different story for you so Allah has given us according to our status and there's no reason to feel guilty you do shukr of what you have when you look at them you must do shukr of what you have but you must also not start indulging in what you have and it's not a place to indulge anyway Yes, if you went beyond your means and you had, you know, like these extra packages that gave you all of these extra things which were, div- which were contrary to the Hajj, then that would be wrong. But otherwise, you only have what you have. And there was uh, one of our uh, recent scholars, Mufti Rashid Ludianwi. These were the days when you didn't have too many luxury hotels around Makkah Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara. You had the small ones. There were a few, one or two Hiltons, one of these big hotels or whatever, very few. Now that is the norm around, but before that wasn't the case, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. It used to be these small, small hotels. He used to insist on paying huge amounts of money to stay in one of those luxury five-star hotels. And he's got it in his bi- biography, it's, it's there. The reason is, I then don't have to worry about anything. I can then go and spend my time in the haram and come back and be, you know, it, it, everything is the way I want it. So his reason for taking those was not for the luxury, but was for the convenience of being, because those were the closest hotels to the Haram in those days, right? They were the closest and they had the less problem of, uh, uh, of uh, people you had to get through and it gave you access to these things and it just gave you ease and comfort. So if you're doing it for that reason, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with it and you've got the ability to do it, then there's nothing wrong with it and you mustn't feel guilty about it. We're just not used to it. We're just not used to being in the sun and doing that worship. Why add that extra layer? So I said, thank Allah for what you have and don't feel guilty. Then I explained some situations to them that everybody has a different situation. I may have given you this example before. When I was studying in India, I once had, I was there with my uh, wife and Hudayfa and uh, he was only less than a year old then, right? So, um, or just about a year old or something. How old are you? Okay. Um, anyway, so I went to do a bit of shopping. Now, I was a student supporting myself. So I had only a bit of money anyway. And most of my money I would like to spend on books. So I went out once to buy a bit of shopping for the home because, you know, we had rented a home there. I spent 200 rupees in about 10 minutes. Two shops, I think. I took this Indian student along with me, not a UP student, but a student from Gujarat. Gujarati students are supposed to be a bit more well-off than the UP ones, right? Gujarat is a more prosperous state than UP right, in general. So I took him along. I went and bought this a few things. 200 rupees is about two to three pounds. Maybe that time it was about three pounds. Now it's two pounds worth. About three pounds of shopping I did. Here you go to a normal shop. You can't buy anything for three pounds. Your normal shop is going to be between 40 pounds and 100 pounds. Go to Costco, you, you don't come back with less than 100 pounds of shopping, right? That's the norm these days, right? But now it's uh, three pounds I spent. The next day or the day after, he was an honest student. He came up to me, he says, Aapne fuzul ki. You wasted so much money. I was just thinking, subhanAllah, how is that possible? I was thinking, when did I do that? Because... 
I was not a extravagant spender. Especially when those days in India, I would take the bus. I had a bike, right? Because I had a certain amount of money that had to last the whole year, right? With the family. And most of my money would be spent in going to visit ulama or buying books or something like that. So I wasn't going on eating in fancy places and all that. None of that. I wasn't like that. There are some students who do that from the UK, right? I wasn't doing that. So when he said that, I just couldn't understand why. Then I realized, he goes, Right? I was wow. I said, then I realized afterwards that their stipend for the month was 40 rupees. For one month was 40 rupees. There were people among them who I found out, they, 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 they've never eaten chicken for years. They come from Bihar and other places. They don't see chicken. What they cook for them there is, you know, your dals and things like that. And the only meat they get is buffalo meat. These old buffaloes, they, they, they cut for them. They don't get chicken. One of them only got to taste milk because he was bimar. He was sick and that's why he had to buy some milk. So you got students like that who are studying. And I just suddenly spent five months of his salary, his stipend in 10 minutes. It's like, for example, you know, you make 2,000 pounds a month, for example. And you see some guy coming from Qatar or Oman or, uh, or Emirates or whatever and blowing 100,000 pounds in one night in a in a hotel or in a casino and you think what a no, that, that's definitely you know do you understand is that kind of a comparison so was I doing Fuzul Kharchi was I wasting my money was I being extravagant can I live like them I can't if I try to live like them that would add an additional layer I wasn't there to do Zuhud I was there to study if I tried to also do that and like live on the basic dal and whatever, which I can probably do now, but you know, it's impossible. Do you understand? There's just no way you can do that. So be thankful for what you have. Just don't indulge in it and don't be extravagant in it and don't use it in the haram. Don't allow the musti of the paisa to, you know, don't allow the mischief of the money that you have to overtake you. That's the, essentially the thing. So what is the... The conclusion of all of this, if you're getting what's according to your level, then do shukr for what you have when you see the lower. Don't feel guilty. In the grand scheme of things though, in the grand scheme of things, what is the preferred route? What is the sunnah of Rasulullah? Sunnah of Rasulullah is to make do with little. Allahumma hshurna fi zumratil masakin. This was his dua. Allahumma ja'al quta ali Allahumma ja'al rizqa ali Muhammadin quta. Oh Allah, make the sustenance of the Prophet just enough to strengthen your back, to keep you straight. That's what his dua was for himself and his family. That was his dua. He had expensive things which he gave away. Because one thing is for sure. One thing is for sure. Indulge as much, not indulge. Use as much as you like, get the best things as much as you like, have lots of money as you like, but you will be questioned more. As you have in this world, the more you have, the more, que the, the more boxes you have to fill on your tax form. Likewise, in the hereafter, there's going to be more questioning, and there's no doubt about that. Unless you've got some really good acts that give you a special VIP ticket without questioning into Jannah. Otherwise, if you've got a lot, then try to get a VIP ticket as well. Otherwise, if you've just got a lot and that's all you're doing, then there's going to be more questioning. The person who's poor, who doesn't have much, he's going to have less questioning.
right? He's going to have less questioning. So yes, questioning is going to come. So if you do have, then do something to get a special ticket to Jannah, special favor with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, special bonus, and keep the heart strong so that all of this extra does not overcome us. This is the whole point of the dhikr of Allah and having a background. If you look around you, if you look around you, there are many intellectual individuals out there in the Muslim community. They've gone astray. Even if they are ulama sometimes or scholars or studied, they sometimes go too much into liberalism because they don't have a backing of a source that helps them and support them. They don't have a backing of dhikr and remembrance. Dhikr and remembrance is so important because it makes you conscious. It makes you conscious of, I've got to stand in front of Allah. I have to be careful. I have to be careful with what I do. So thank Allah for what you have and try to garner as much favors with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as possible. I don't even know how possible that is because the problem with having too much substance is that it has this propensity to take us away. So it's like we're, we're really struggling with that. But there have been success in the, in the past with great ulama who had, who had a lot and still survived. Right? And you know, this is through sadaqat and through assistance of others and through dhikr of Allah and remembrance and things of that nature. See, it's ajeeb how shaitan comes and attacks us in different ways, in different forms, just to then spoil a major worship. Because Hajj is probably the most effective, fast worship you can have in the world. To get you closer to Allah, it's probably the fastest and most effective route that hardly fails. It fails with a few people because they're just, just not into it. They'll go there and start complaining about everything. And that just messes everything up. There are things to complain about. You know, there's no doubt there are things to complain about. I'm glad the thing which cheesed me off was right at the end. Because you know, you're on the Hajj terminal and they've got gates. Each gate has three flights associated to it. And you have to get there six to eight hours before. To get into that gate after you do the initial get into the... After, you get, after they let you check in. First they make you sit in this really hot place where there's no AC or anything. Okay, understandable. Then they let you check in. Then you go into the hall and then you get into your gate area. To get into that gate area, there's a thousand people waiting to get in because you've got three flights. Trying, people of three flights trying to get in. And they've only got one security. One, uh, what do you call it? Uh, X-ray and one belt. And everybody has to be checked for whatever reason. right? So it takes one by one, one by one, a thousand people. How many hours is that going to take? So you're just literally just standing there. You can't even sit. Because you move along every few seconds, every few minutes. So it's just, there are some crazy things down there. But the way I, we started discussing, and I told the brothers, I said, you know, enough of our sins haven't been purified yet. So this is the last part of it. Because it makes you do sabr. Otherwise you get angry. So it's all about that sabr. Just take it as a way to purify your sins. But hajj is the most effective way that I've seen for a, for a five-day quick fit you know there's the 10 days which is very beneficial sitting in a masjid for 10 days with a shaykh that's very beneficial but this one is even more because you're in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most holy of holy places it's just amazing it makes you change Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq
اللهم انت السلام منك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والاكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث سبحان الله العلي الاعلى الوهاب اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم او الله او الله ويا يو سيرفنتس او الله ويا يو سينفل سيرفنتس او الله وي هاف كوميتد ماني اكسسس او الله بت ات ذا اند اوف ذا داي وي ار يو سيرفنتس اند نوبدي ايلس از سيرفنتس O oh Allah, when we pray, we pray to you, we bow down in front of you, we say Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, we glorify you as our Lord. O oh Allah, we ask that you assist us and help us. You forgive us. O oh Allah, grant us forgiveness. 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 O oh Allah, grant us pardon. O oh Allah, overlook our sins and have your mercy upon us. O oh Allah, have your mercy upon us. Ya Arham Ar-Rahimeen, Ya Arham Ar-Rahimeen, treat us with your mercy. Oh Allah, your mercy, rivers of your mercy are constantly flowing. Oh Allah, we ask for even a simple drop of that mercy. Oh Allah, it's enough to suffice us. Oh Allah, keep our hearts attached to you. Oh Allah, keep our consciousness upon you. Oh Allah, keep our consciousness with you. Oh Allah, this world is very attractive. It's very distracting. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we are indulgent in it. Oh Allah, we think about the dunya 24 hours. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we're constantly behind the dunya. O oh Allah, allow our hearts to stay firm uh, on your deen. O oh Allah, our, allow our hearts to stay firm on your deen. To stay firm on your deen. O oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq to do many, many good deeds. O oh Allah, to not be embroiled in the world in such a way that we have no time for anything else. O oh Allah, give us the tawfiq to make our salats on time. O oh Allah, to really establish our prayer the way, the way you want them to be. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, do not make them just a form, but grant them a spirit and a ruh. O oh Allah, grant our prayers life. O oh Allah, grant our hearts life. O oh Allah, grant our hearts life and a soul. O oh Allah, we beseech you, we beseech you. O oh Allah, we are tired of fighting against the shaitan. We make tawbah in the night and we break it in the morning. O oh Allah, we make tawbah in the morning and we break it by night. O oh Allah, even when a child is tired of walking, he asks his parents to pick him up and the, chi- and the child is picked up by his parents. O oh Allah, we ask you to take us in your refuge now. O oh Allah, we ask to take you in our refuge. O oh Allah, we ask you to take you in your refuge. O oh Allah, and to grant us protection from the shaitan. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, there are many evils out there. We're bombarded by them day in and day out. There are many distractions for us. There are many temptations for us. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the understanding, the true understanding of things. You show us the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. And show us the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. O oh Allah, bless us with beneficial knowledge. O oh Allah, bless us with beneficial knowledge. O oh Allah, fulfill our permissible needs. O oh Allah, fulfill our permissible needs. O oh Allah, protect us from all forms of distraction and the mischief of the money that you have given us. O oh Allah, we seek protection. We seek forgiveness. We seek forgiveness from all of those sins we've committed using the very money that you bestowed upon us, the very health that you gave us. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from this. O oh Allah, you gave it to us and we use it to aggress against you. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, forgive us for this blasphemy. Forgive us for this tyranny. O oh Allah, forgive us for this sin. Forgive us for this excess. O oh Allah, our life is full of excesses. O oh Allah, our life is full of excesses. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, protect us and help us. Have compassion upon us. Have mercy upon us. O oh Allah, make this a blessed gathering. O oh Allah, 
do not let any of us return except forgiven except inspired except with your mercy oh allah grant us all your mercy oh allah grant us all your mercy grant us all your mercy and all of those who have died in these calamities we've had oh allah make them uh, make them make them a bl- grant them blessing oh allah grant them blessing grant them closeness to you grant them shuha shahada oh allah grant them shahada oh allah grant them shahada oh allah allow us to perform your pilgrimage oh allah in a pristine state and oh allah oh allah allow us to go back over and over again to to your blessed house and the precincts of your messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to take from the bounties that are available there from the rahmat that descend upon the descend upon these places oh allah oh allah do not deprive us of these mercies oh allah do not deprive us of these mercies oh allah accept whatever duas have been made in arafat this year for all of us oh allah accept all of the beneficial duas that would be beneficial for us accepted for us despite the fact that we were not there with our physical bodies maybe we may have been there in a with our hearts oh allah oh allah we ask you protection from all of the things that have been sought protection and refuge from oh allah oh allah bless us oh allah grant us tawfiq allow us to see the right as the right and to follow it oh allah bless us in our lives bless us in our businesses bless us in our ch- in, in in our homes oh allah oh allah protect us protect us from all of the fitness out there protect our children from all of the fitness out there subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun alal mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin